Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's podcast. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of It's the podcast. Welcome to the Fright Fest preview special podcast. I've got with me today Mitch Jenkins. Hello, Mitch. Hey, hi, Stuart. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good man, good man. You're the director of Showpieces. Yeah, for my sins. For your sins, yeah. A, a, a film that you've done with uh, the writer Alan Moore. Yes, yeah. And that in itself is, um, is always going to be a bit troublesome, um, considering that everyone is always sort of like after, after him. And the very fact that he sort of like agreed to come on board with us was just brilliant. Indeed, indeed. So, um, I mean, you're, bo- you're, both, you're, both, are you both from Nottingham or just both Nottingham residents? Not Nottingham, it's Northampton. Northampton, good. Forgive me, forgive me. Sorry, mate. Yeah, good job you weren't talking to Alan then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're both you're both from Northampton, as we, we are indeed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Look, I, I, to, if I can if I can claw some credibility back, I did go for a day out in Northampton to visit the shoe factories one one weekend. Oh, okay, lucky you. No, I enjoyed it. It was, uh, and I went to the shoe museum and stuff. Oh, the that? shoe museum's fabulous. Uh, no, That's about it. Was, it, it was a big surprise, big surprise to be honest with you. Um, but yes, so that's. Uh, Yes, I do know, and and I have what, what, I cycled once from London to Manchester, and uh, the route out of Northampton going up to um, Leicester was lovely. It was a great B road that took me right out. But that's yeah, well, we have, stuff. Well, well, we have glorious countryside here as well as shoes. <laughs> well, let's get back to showpieces. Could you give us a brief synopsis of the of the film, please? Oh, brief synopsis. Um, well, it, it, I, I suppose it. Um, it's looking at love, loss, dreams, and uh, desire. Um, and we're looking at James and Faith, um, both of them ha- arriving, at the, uh, r- arriving within the film from two um, completely different areas. And it's, it's just them confronting their sins, or indeed Mr. Metterton and Mr. Matchbride, our uh, end-of-the-peer comedians, um, forcing them to confront their sins. Okay. Okay. Now you, you said you, you, you've, you're working with uh, Alan Moore, who I'm guessing was was the, the the lead on the writing of it. What was your involvement with with the writing of the script, if any? Well, well with the writing, uh, well, it all came about. I, I'd photographed um, a burlesque uh, scenario for Alan's um, recently, well, not recently, but for his um, fanzine that sort of like died a death after several issues uh, yeah. because, bless him, he wouldn't take any um, advertising, so. <laughs> kind of run out of money. But he'd asked me to shoot um, a burlesque piece for the ill-fated Dodgem Logic. I'd shot it, and then after we reviewed the images, I'd gone back to Alan and said, look, the photo shoot has worked really well. I'd like to go and do a two-minute showpiece, a showreel um, film using the same characters. And at that point, he then said, well, let me write you a screenplay. 
So I gave him the opening scene, the closing scene. I'd already created these characters, but none of them had names. Mm. It was just for still shoot. He then went away and then just created the world of the show. Okay. And um, and from from it was and from that point on, is that where the idea that you would do more was born? Well, out? not really. So he'd written Jimmy's End, which was based on the um, burlesque shoot. He'd created okay. the world of Jimmy's End, and that was solely going to be a standalone 10, 15, 20-minute short film. End yeah. of story. Um, but then we started getting lots and lots of interest um, from various people. And we'd already had a relationship with Lex Records, um, who had put out our unearthing project. Hmm. And they just said, well, look, why don't we try and fund this and do this properly? They went away, and, and we, it, was, it was proving problematic to actually find the funding, because we wanted to keep all intellectual property rights, we wanted complete editorial control. Um, so it was proving quite rather difficult. So we then went off and shot Act of Faith as a trailer to kind of promote ourselves and said, look, we can actually do this. Yeah. And Alan wrote that, and that's the prequel. Um, that brings faith into the story. She was already in it in Jimmy's End, but we started establishing how she got to Jimmy's End. We did Act of Faith. That immediately got some traction. We then got funding to make Jimmy's End. Mm. Um, and then from that point, we thought, well, there's a few other stories we'd like to tell, one called Upon Reflection, and the other is a professional relationship. Mm. And they both come out of Jimmy's end. But they're like little bonus scenes that further the narrative. Yeah. But the main one was his heavy heart, the, the final film, which kind of had a resolution and welcomed everyone into the world of Nighthampton, the dream world. Yeah. Um, that was the one that we funded through Kickstarter. And once we've done that, once we did that, we then just edited them all together. Um, and that's how showpieces came around. Have you got any... Uh, I mean, there's, there's a few people listening who would be interested to know of any tips you've got in terms of using crowdfunding as a, as a way of Well, crowdfunding, well, we initially thought, you know, our complete and utter ignorance is that, you know, using Alan's name and the fact that we'd already done Jimmy's End, an act of faith, that it would be particularly easy. You know, you just put a request out there to the world and the money pours in. Hmm. That isn't the case. The one thing we did find you have to do, you, you really need to engage with the audience, with the Kickstarter fans. Okay. Um, and as such, we were then producing mini little films throughout, um, little appeal films that Alan would, and me would do. Silly little pieces, just, just engage with them and just sort of like had a personal relationship. Um, and we found that that worked. But it was a case of updating everyone within the period that you have to, to raise the funds. So all I would say is don't take anything for granted. You have to engage with the people who are going to help fund you, fund the film. And as such, you know, in return, you've, you've got to be talking to them on a regular basis. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've, 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 I think that's the general approach to social media. If you want to use that as a tool, I think it's 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 about conversation, isn't it? Rather than pump out and get reaction. Exactly. And if you fail to do that, if you fail to engage with them, then you know there are so many other brilliant projects out there. People will just move on to that. Mm. So, when in terms of um, from from a direct, I'm guessing there from where you're talking, then that both you and Alan were, were producers as well on these projects, as well as the director and writer. Um, well, we certainly were to, to an extent. At the very beginning, I was kind of producing everything. Alan writes it, sits in his little house in Northampton, writes everything, gets it all polished and perfect for me. I mean, we're, we're obviously having conversations throughout this process. Yeah. But then when he gives me the, the screenplay, it's then down to me. I go out and then start talking to a wider audience. Um, Tom Brown at Lex Records has been kind of amazing insofar that he went out there and found the money for Jimmy's End. 
which was just we needed that to get started. But we've also got another producer on board, um, Pete Coogan. He worked with Jim Henson for 20 years. Oh, wow. So he did all the Muppet stuff. And when we got him on board, you know, both myself and Alan were completely thrilled. But he's brought, fortunately, a real professionalism to the whole process because neither myself or Alan have had any formal film training. So, you know, I was a photographer and he was a comic book writer. And then with the help of sort of like Pete Coogan coming on board, he then managed to put us in touch with all the right people and help create a really good team. Um, and as such, you know, without those people on board, you know, Alan and I would have been stumbling around in the dark for some time, I think. So was this your first sort of move from stills to moving pictures in terms of narrative? Um, well, I've done loads of pop videos in the, in the 90s, oh, okay. and I've shot, you know, idents for TV shows and various other bits and bobs, but this was certainly my first stab at drama. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is a massive change from doing a pop video where it's just all about the visual. Yeah. As you know, when you're directing drama, you know, you have to actually get inside of the story, empower the, the actors, mm. and actually trust them. So, yes, it was my first, um, my first stab at it, but uh, I think over the three and a half years it's taken us to make all of the five films, of which the three main ones are going to be shown at um, Fright Fest. Um, I think I've kind of, got, kind of got to grips with the whole process now. <laughs> so from that sense then, uh, what, was, what would be... Um... It, when, when you've got the script in the first instance and you're getting preparing for the shoot, and obviously money's not infinite, what, what were some of the sort of technical aspects of what you wanted to shoot that, were, that you were facing and you were, you, were, you were proud of what you achieved, as it were, in the end result? Well, I think we were just proud of what we achieved because of the limited budget. I mean, Alan has a, a complete hatred for anything CGI, okay. anything that requires no imagination but just money to make it look pretty. So we, and, but he also was very mindful, because I, I, we, we spoke at the beginning, just to be mindful when you're writing something, that it's written in a way that we can actually afford to make it. Um, okay. So act of faith, you know, it's one person, it's in one room, and he knew that we had, you know, we had no money to do it, so he wrote it accordingly. So I think we're just putting brilliant people on board and getting them infused, like from Ricky Ayres, our production designer, and all the various DOPs we've had, Mm. We're getting amazing people on board and being mindful of your budgetary limitations. I think you can achieve a lot of things. A lot of it just comes down to imagination and, and just having an enthusiastic team. So it's, so it's actually not about the idea that the budget should, should curtail any imagination. It's, in fact, you should push your imagination to, the most, to, the, to its best abilities, I suppose. Well, I think so, because I think if you've got a limited, you know, a limitless budget, you can actually achieve anything you want. You know, you send off a, a team of computer programmers who will create these amazing scenes. You can use stop-motion cameras. You, I mean, you can use anything you want. But if you've got just a few quid, then you've got to think really long and hard about how you want to achieve a certain look and feel. And, and you know, you, know you, you just need to be mindful of your time and just use everything very productive, productively. And one of our major assets is we've built this lovely team of people who are really engaged with the whole process, and they see where the story arc's going. Alan's just completed the screenplay for the feature film, hmm. show, the show, which is what happens the next day. Oh, wow. And that in itself is just amazing. We've got you know, his first superhero for God knows how many years. We've got an amazing hitman, voodoo gangster. It's, it's just a brilliant film, um, or certainly screenplay. It's not a film yet, but the screenplay's brilliant, and it just takes over from the next day. 
So all of the people who have been on board are just so excited about the, you know, the possibility that we then move on and carry on telling the story. Sounds, sounds very exciting, sounds very exciting. Now, in your, uh, you, you mentioned there about the differences between sort of shooting a promo and shooting, um, shooting some drama. Um, what, what were you and about getting into the getting into the, the middle of the story, as it were? What, what were your conversations like with the actors? You know, how, how do you how do you like to direct? Are you are you telling them what to do? Are you asking them what they'd like to do, or is, you know, how does that conversation work? I, well, I think at the beginning, to be perfectly honest with you, it, uh, with actor faith, it was just I've had a relationship with Siobhan Hewlett in Safar that I've photographed her on numerous occasions. Mm-hmm. Um, so we knew each other really well. So we we, we, we just sat down with a screenplay. We'd gone through it, figured out how she felt comfortable in portraying the character and what I wanted from it. So that was just this lovely dialogue, and it was quite simple. But the yeah. time we got to Jimmy's end, I was a bit like a rabbit in a headlight, you know, insofar as I've got 40 cast members and we've got 40 crew. Everyone's asking me a question. I'm just trying to get through the process and shoot everything in four days. <laughs> um, so that was really a lot of that was, you know, this is what I want from the actors. They bought into that process. They're in there with Alan. Me and Alan are talking the story through with them. And he writes amazing backstories for all of the actors, okay. for all of the characters. And that really makes a difference because it enables them to really have a true understanding of the character. But by the time he got to his heavy heart, I'm feeling much more confident in the process of being a director. Um, so we, we didn't have a read-through with anyone. I just had several different meetings with all of the lead talent mm. and just went through what I wanted. But I think on the day, you have to just empower people, get everything ready, give them the frame that they work within, and then just let the story unfold because, you know, they become the character. Yeah. So it's a sense, a sense of as comfortable you feel, you want to sort of uh, project that to them so they feel safe and comfortable doing what you want a- to do. Absolutely. I, I think that the, it's all about collaboration and it's all about empowerment. If you can get them on board, and you've got the right people. Yeah. If you're trying to force someone to behave and act in a way that is alien to them, then we've made the wrong decision in casting. It's finding the right person. And once you've got that person, you just give them their head and just let them go off and do it. Every now and again, you'll just pull them back and you'll think the pacing isn't right. And you'll speak to them about that. But outside of that, I think you just have to trust the actors. And was, was there much collaboration between you and Alan on, on, on the written work part of it, or was you very much leaving Can it? Can you say that again? I missed that. Sorry, was the, was the, what was the collaboration like between you and Alan in terms of writing it then? Was that... Um, well, like I said, Alan writes everything, and we sit and discuss it during that process. But, you know, he's the wordsmith. Then when he gives me the screenplay, mm. I then sort of like pick it apart a little bit, change the pacing, maybe add a few different elements into it. Never change the dialogue or the story. Yeah. Because why would I want to do that when you've got Alan Moore on board? <laughs> but I think sometimes what I then do is, you know, like I said, change the pacing, bring things around to a conclusion in a slightly different way. But Alan will come to the film set, although he generally only comes a, at lunchtime, so he picks up a free meal, um, <laughs> says hi to all the team, and then sort of like wanders off in the afternoon. And he just kind of leaves it to me to do that. But we have spent so many years collaborating. Yeah. Um, we've spent, you know, so many, drunk so many cups of tea just discussing what we want from this. That that in itself, you know, we're both on the same page. We both know what we want. And my job as a director is just to go out there and capture that. What was, what was he, uh, in, in that sense then, what was he like to direct as an actor? Ah, uh, what was he like to direct? I mean, that's a, 
he was good. He was good. You know, he he wants to make sure that, you know, I've got what I want. Um, but Mr. Metterton and Alan Moore, they're not massively dissimilar. <laughs> you know, Mr. Alan Moore doesn't want to take over the whole world. But um, how was he delighted to direct? He, he, he was brilliant, actually. He really was. He just nailed it. And that's, and that's the sort of, like, upsetting thing. Not only... Can he write really well? He can bloody act well. As well. I'm just thinking in terms of you know that just and I know all, a lot of the directors I speak to you know is always about collaboration. But wh whether we like it or not, this it, it, the film set for me is is the nearest I've seen to the workplace being like the army. You know, in the sense that the director is the top of the tree. You know, and then how they re interact with everybody else is how the sort of the mood of the set will be determined in a sense. No, indeed. And, you know, and when I'm on the shoot, I am at the top of the tree. But the reality is, you know, Alan and I just don't have that kind of relationship. No one's walking around with these massive egos. Yeah. I'm the director, no, I'm Alan Moore. Everything we do is thoroughly discussed and talked about, and we really want a collaboration with everyone, whether it's, you know, the gaffer, the DOP, the, anyone who's on board, a good idea is a good idea. And I think... What works so well for us is that no one is walking around, you know, cracking the whip saying, I'm in charge, this is just my vision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that isn't how either of us work. It's, it's all about collaboration. It's all about empowering people and just making it fun. So if it's not really fun, then there's not much point me, me and Alan actually doing this. Well, I mean, I mean I like I say, I, wa I watched it last night and, it, and, and, it, and one, it looks beautiful. It, it really is. You really, but, but also... The, the uh, when you watch it, you as the filmmaker are always one step of us, the audience, which makes the little reveals as they come all the more delightful. <clears throat> Certainly, just just the tra I mean, having you know when you, when you where, the way you start with the act of faith, and then when we when we see faith next time, that that connection and what that answers in terms of what you need to know about where we're going in the film and stuff, it's just really really a really really neat way of uh, visually telling a story. Well, thanks for that. I mean, you know, Alan and I have spent a lot of time, and it really, what we really wanted was the penny drops throughout the whole of the series of films. We just wanted everyone just to get that little bit more information. Yeah. Then, ah, I get it now. And then, okay, didn't quite get it, but, oh, I get it now. And just having that throughout. Um, and with the two other films that you haven't seen, Upon Reflection and A Professional Relationship. Yeah which will be the bonus scenes on the DVD, they aren't necessary um, to understand the whole story arc as you see it at the moment in showpieces, but what they do is just a few more penny drops. Mm. And it just, it just helps setting up the story for um, the show. And I think that was one of our main reasons for doing all of this, because Alan and I had sat down and you know, what he said is, let's do some short films, then we'll do the feature, then we'll do the TV series. Mm. Not that, you know, he's overly ambitious in that way. Um, <laughs> certainly a vision. Pardon? I said it's certainly a vision. It, no, it is. And, and he has this whole story arc in his head. And, and what we wanted to do throughout was just keep engaging with the audience, enabling them to sort of like, ah, I get it, I get it. And then, okay, yeah, needs to think a little bit more about the next scene. So, no, over, you know, all in all, it's been, uh, it's been a bit of a blast. Uh, from from your point of view, what what are you? I know you say the film is is the, the films are the achievements and stuff, but from from a kind of you know with your director's eye looking at the finished result and what you were thoughts that were going, maybe going through your mind on the days of the shoot and everything, what 
What particular scenes or sequences are you best pleased with in terms of the result you managed to get? <clears throat> well, I think my favourite scene from Jimmy's End um, would have been the uh, toilet scene uh, with the clown and James, because that <laughs> really, really gives you a great understanding of what's happening. That's James's moment of realisation. Oh, it's terrifying. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I just, I just thought it was wonderful, uh, and that worked out so much better than it was initially written. Yeah, the way it was written, you thought, okay, it's great and it's funny, but the way I'd put a twist on that, and the way that Daryl just responds to. Um, and Andrew, our clown. I just loved that. And with his heavy heart, I felt the scene that really captured it for me was the outro scene in the corridor just before they, they leave. Mm. Um, and that really had a... It resonated with me. I thought the performances were brilliant. The pacing was just perfect. Um, if I do say so myself. <laughs> and it, was that, it just worked for me, you know, because this is all such a new experience to me as a director. Yeah. And it's kind of getting to understand those moments and how best to portray them and direct them. Um, so, you know, with acts of faith, you know, like I said, the window, Jimmy's in the toilet, and then the, the outro scene of his heavy heart. Well, I think, I mean, the, the great thing there is, I mean, the, 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 I was talking to some script consultant one time, and it was, I was asking what the difference was between a horror and a thriller. And basically, and they, they were saying, from their point of view, that a horror is always more voyeuristic than a, than a thriller is. And certainly, you're, you're, the scene you talk about in the corridor, where we're definitely in the shoes of our of our of the poor fellow who has no idea what's going on, but but it's like you're, you're thinking, is he escaping? Is he not escaping? Is this? Is he going to get his life back? Is he this? Is he that? And that's clearly the thoughts going through the character's head as well. And I thought that's a really nice kind of tense moment for you as the audience while you're watch you're literally watching it happen. No, no, in, indeed. But but when you mention about horror and thriller, when when we were told that we'd been accepted into you know Fright Fest, I yeah. was thinking, have I made a horror film? Mm. I mean, some people tell me I have. I thought I'd made kind of a, a surreal thriller. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I suppose that that's great to hear the very fact that you felt you were in the shoes of James. Oh, without a doubt. No, I think that's that's. The, I mean, that's one of the things. That it's. I mean genre is a thing anyway I mean horror as a genre is not quite the the kind of black and white thing it used to be you know when you had like universal pick monsters and things like that you know I'm guessing ever since you know Wes Craven did Last House on the Left the kind of rules have changed as to what horror should or shouldn't be and if you look at the the, the gamut of films they've got on now at um, at Fright Fest it's so it, it's such a such a broad church now yeah no it does seem incredibly diverse now I read. I must admit, I read that you. you not only, I guess, surprised that that, that, that it was it, it got into the horror festival. But you you, ref, you referred to it as saying that this was establishment recognition for your project. No, exactly. I mean, you know, there's me and Alan. You know, two sort of like middle-aged blokes, if not a bit older in Alan's case, sort of like you know, up in Northampton, not conforming to any sort of like rules of how one would ordinarily make films yeah. insofar as that we have no experience. Mm. Um, and the fact that we were sort of like, you know, got official recognition, I, I was delighted by that. And I think so was Alan, you know, just the very fact that the establishment is saying, yeah, you know what, you're doing okay. This is worth watching. Because so you never know. I mean, you know, we've been making these films over the last three and a half years, and really this is the first time they're going to be seen, and certainly seen properly. Um, 
so I'm I'm really excited. You know, who so knows what so the is audience it, is going to think? Is this, this is a world premiere then. That's going to be yes, it is. Oh, how exciting! No, it is. I mean, you know, we've only seen um, two of our films actually projected on a big screen, and that was just to a private audience. So, you know, I've yet to see It's Heavy Heart projected. And we've spent so long, you know, doing the 5-1 mix and everything else. Mm. So to actually see it on a big screen is just, you know, both myself and Alan will be seeing it for the first time with, along with the audience. So do you, do, you know, do you know what your time slot is? That you, that people yeah, I think the mid-afternoon, I think about 3 o'clock, and then we've got to go and do, not got to go and do, we're looking forward to doing a Q&A afterwards. So, yeah, so it's Saturday the 23rd of August. Yeah. And your show, show pieces is 3.15. Okay. And that's Discovery Screen 1 at the View Cinema. Aha, uh -huh. see, you know more than I. I knew it was the 23rd. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought I'd allow, I thought I'd give you the floor first, but I had me back up. Just to help you out. <laughs> no, it's always good to know where I've got to be and what time. <laughs> we'll check in with Ben first before all oh, the fright first lot. Don't trust me completely. Um, yeah. Now, one of the things we like to do on um, on fright first is uh, fright first on Britflix is um, because we're, we're we're largely concerned with uh, British films and this is one anyway, so we're not outside of it. But for fright first, I get to sort of step outside that remit a bit because it's a big British festival. Um, but but we're always looking for recommendations of uh, British films that maybe are a little underrated or deserve a little kudos. So um, what what would be what would be a British horror film? Maybe uh, it doesn't have to be, but because we're Fright Fest, if you've got one, it'd be great. That you that you think is a is a favourite of yours that you. you Do you know what you you've just caught me out there because I would not know. Um, I, I don't even know what's going to be screening there. We have just been so flat out in the um, edit no, suite. No, 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 not, not at the festival, but just, gem you know, in, in, your, in your life experience of watching films, what would be a, a British horror film you'd recommend? Oh, God, it's got to be Wheatley's one. Um, oh, is it not this England? What's the one? In a Field. What's oh, that In one? a Field in England? Yes. Yeah, that's, that's one of my favourites, actually, from a British director. Mm. What was it about that that appealed? Well, I just loved the cinematography, actually, and just the trippiness of the whole thing. Mm. And it was just the way that he just hadn't approached it how I would have imagined when I first sat down to watch it. It was like I wasn't expecting this. So I, I, I just liked the, the fact that it wasn't a predictable film mm. and, and just the trippy version um, scenes just kind of resonated, you know, from when I was much younger. <laughs> <laughs> so well, you're having flashbacks watching a movie? Pardon? I so say you were having flashbacks watching a movie. Yeah, I was actually. Yeah, not not necessarily always nice ones. <laughs> well, it is it is a dark film. It is a dark film. Just a bit. Do you do you have uh, you you mentioned the DVD a couple of times? Is there an official release date for that DVD of showpieces? As far as I'm aware, um, it is thirty first of all of October, Halloween. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, look, we'll uh, well I'll make sure I get some more details for that, and we'll flag that up nearer the time as well. That'd be um, brilliant. So, for those people wanting to see showpieces and. A Q&A with yourself and Alan Moore, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, it's going to be Saturday the 23rd of August at Fright Fest, and it's Discovery Screen 1, and that's at 3.15. So I think uh, for those of you wanting to see something on the Discovery screens, that's one to pick, I would say. Thank you very Thanks. much, uh, Mitch, for uh, taking time to speak to us at Britflix. You're more than welcome. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. This is a Fright Fest 2014 special of it's the britflix.com podcast this is a fright fest 2014 special of 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.